Welcome to the Solomon's Porch Podcast, the podcast from the worship experience of Solomon's Porch at Valdosta First United Methodist Church. We want you to be encouraged and inspired in your faith journey. So sit back and relax, unless you're driving or using heavy machinery, and enjoy. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Oh, there you are. Now I see you. Most of you look pretty good, too. Oh, that was a joke, by the way. Ooh. So, um, 14 years ago, this Sunday, we started a new, brand new thing in our church. Uh, 14 years ago, um, we said, which it seems like yesterday for, for me, um, some of you were, you're like, that was a lifetime ago because you were 14 right now or you're 15. But 14 years ago, we started this, this new thing in, in our church. And we, there was a, a small group of us that we really felt like God was, was stirring something up within us. And we really saw this need in our church and we saw this need in our community. And so I went before our leadership in the church and, and I presented um, these seven reasons why I, I believed we needed to start this service, why we needed to start this. We, we went before and we said, we believe these things. And they said, go for it. And so we've been going for it ever since then. So 14 years ago today. So happy birthday to us. How about that? Is that a good thing? And even, and even more so, happy birthday or anniversary to Justin Crenshaw, because 10 years ago today, he started as our worship leader. So... We are very, very thankful for that. Our ministry wouldn't be what it is without you and your leadership and, and the incredible musicians you've brought along, and so we thank you. Um, so we've been trucking along ever since, but what I wanted to do today is, as we start this series called We Believe, is I wanted to spend this morning to present back to you those things that, that I took before our church leadership 14 years ago, just so you can have an idea, because this might be the first time you've heard these things. Hopefully you see these things playing out. But I don't know if you've ever heard these things specifically, and I want to share these core beliefs with you and the scripture that, that we believe a, along with them and, and why we started this way. But before I get into those seven things, the seven core beliefs, I, I want to answer the question that I know has just been a burning question uh, for a lot of you, and it's this. Where did you get the name Solomon's Porch? Right? Have you ever wondered that? Yeah? Or you've been here so long now to ask the question might make you feel like a... A dunce, so you're like, I'll just, I'll just pretend I know. Um, but here's where we got the, the name Solomon's Porch in the New Century version of Scripture. Uh, in different versions, it, it's talking about the temple, Solomon's Temple, where people came to worship. And there's a lot of different ways they referred to the outer part of the temple where people would gather beforehand. Some call it a colonnade. Um, but in the New Century version, it's referred to as Solomon's Porch. It's that place before you went into the worship space. And uh, in particular, Acts chapter 3, verse 11, it's kind of, it's, it's our verse. And it says this, all the people were amazed and ran to them at Solomon's porch. Now the them in this is actually important. It's, it's about John and Peter. Now this is an Acts, so Jesus had already ascended into heaven. And John and Peter are living out uh, their responsibility to share the gospel. And they're going into the temple to worship. And right outside of the temple was this man who had been there for his whole life begging for money. It was the only way he could make a living because he was crippled. He was unable to move, unable to work, unable to do anything. And he was there begging and he was wanting money. And Peter and John didn't have any money. But in the name of Jesus, they healed the guy, which is a lot better than money. Amen? 
So in the name of Jesus, people are like, I don't know. In the name of Jesus, they healed the guy. And this guy gets up and he starts praising God. And, and all these people are watching this. And this is where we pick this up in Acts chapter 3, verse 9. It says this, all the people recognized him as the crippled man who always sat by the beautiful gate begging for money. Now they saw this same man walking and praising God and they were amazed. They wondered how this could happen. It's a miracle, of course. And then verse 11, while the man was holding on to Peter and John, all the people were amazed and ran, at, ran to them at Solomon's porch. And this is what, as I remember, we were sitting in my living room in my house and we were talking about, uh, you know, kind of the who, what, when, where, why of, of the starting this new service. And this came up and we were reading this passage and we were like, that's it. That's the reason why. Because we want God to move in such a way in the lives of people that when they're around other people, they're going to be like, hey, I, I got to go. Where are you? Where are you worshiping? Where are you learning? Where are you growing in your faith? Because wherever that's happening, I want to be there. And that's what was kind of the basis for, not kind of, it was the reason we, we used that name as Solomon's porch. 14 years ago, 14 years ago, and I was thinking about that, and thousands upon thousands of lives have been touched by this ministry. And that's a very... Um, humbling, honoring, serious, exciting. I mean, there's just so many words that get wrapped into this about why and about what we've been doing. So I want to share with you these core beliefs. And the first one is this. I think it is the verse, it's, it, or the core belief. It is the anchor behind it all because without this one, all the other stuff just doesn't matter. And it's this core belief. We believe this is what I presented to our leadership. We believe that there is only one way to our Father. No other way. Jesus is the only way to our Father. He's the only way. No religious acts, no Buddha, no Allah, no being a good person, no paying all your taxes, all that. None of those things take you. Jesus is the only way that we get to our Father. He's the only way. There is no other way. However, there are many ways to share this truth. There are countless, innumerable ways to share the truth that Jesus saves, that Jesus brings life, that Jesus bridges the gap between us and God, that Jesus takes away our sin. It's the only way, but there are so many ways we can share that message to be true. And I went before our church leadership. And I said, this is really what we want to do. We want to, we want to make sure that we're not, we're not missing people, that we're not missing an opportunity to share this truth that there is one way to our Father, but there are many ways to share Him. And we use the verse, um, uh, the verse of 1 Corinthians 9.22, where Paul is saying, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul didn't say, I'm just going to hang out with the religious elite. I'm just going to go and we're going to talk Torah law and that's all we're going to do. And hopefully those people will come to know the truth of the Messiah, the real Messiah, Jesus. No, I will become all things to all people. And that was our verse behind that core belief, you know. And in 2002, it might sound strange to some of you, but if you were living in Valdosta in 2002 and you were a Christian then, there were no mainline denominations doing a modern worship service. No Baptist, no Methodist, no Lutheran or Presbyterian, or anything. No one was doing a modern worship service. Now, somebody might have been in a, in a, a fellowship hall or a chapel with a keyboard doing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Because I didn't know if you knew this, but vibrato gets you closer to God. I don't know if you knew that. 
Now, but no one was doing a modern worship service. No one was doing what, using all the things that were available to us in, in music and visual arts and, and all these things and saying, we, we, let's have a worship experience that incorporates these things. And so we, we felt very uh, strongly that this was important um, because, listen, you figured this out because you're here, but music is very important. Music touches us. We're going to talk a little bit about that next week, how, how God uses music to really speak to us and, and, and kind of impart truths to us and really engages our soul, you know? But we felt so important that it was so important that, that someone could be driving down the road and, you know, in 2002, listening to their CD, you know, and listening to their, their playlist and, and going, Man, this is the music I love. And then be able to walk into a church service and hear that same kind of music, but with the message of Christ attached to it. We felt that was so important that they didn't have to step into another century to step into another timeline and go, okay, well, I really want to worship God, but man, this just isn't, this isn't where I really am musically. We know that's so important. So there's one way to our Father, but there's so many ways to share Him. So music's important. The message is important. How it's delivered. I'll talk about that more in a moment. Um, but we didn't want to use Christianese. You know, we didn't want to use insider language or, or um, phrases or things that, that didn't connect with people and they didn't understand. Um, visual media. All these things are so important. There's one way to God, but so many ways to share Him. You know, I have this shirt on. Four plus two equals one. Um, I was telling uh, some folks that this is common core math, but it's really not. Um, and, and I know you've been staring at it going, that's bad. That's bad math. That's wrong. Um, but this is, this is our shirt. You can get one of these, actually. Um, down in the lobby at the end of the service, Casey will be there. I'm pointing at her because I'm saying, I'm letting her know, Casey, will you be in the lobby at the end of the service? And she'll have some of these shirts if you want to get one. Um, but four, we have four worship services on Sunday mornings here at our church. We have two styles. We have a traditional service in the sanctuary and our modern service in here. But we are one church. Four services, two styles, one church. See, there's, there's only one way to our Father, but there are so many ways to share Him. So many ways to share Him. And that's true in worship experience as well. So here's another core belief. We believe that a casual and welcoming atmosphere is essential. Um, in dress and in style of worship, the worshiper should feel comfortable and accepted. You know, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 18 where, where Jesus is speaking and he's talking about letting the little children come to, come to him and that, that unless you kind of have the, the mindset of a child, that you, you're not really going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I thought about that and that's one of those verses you go, how does that connect? You know, one of the things I love about my daughter is that um, I can get up in the morning with bedhead and, and, you know, old t-shirt and whatever I had on and she doesn't look at me and go, oh, She's only five, so we'll give her until she's 13. But right now, she doesn't care. She's not concerned with how mom's hair is or what I've got on or any of those things. I don't know if you've ever run into us out in public, but sometimes you'll see my daughter in some crazy outfits because I'm like, hey, Mallory, go get dressed. We're going to Target. And she'll come out with who knows what sort of sparkly skirt, something, and a long sleeve shirt, even though it's 90 degrees out, and maybe a hat, maybe some cowboy boots. And, and she's ready to rock it because that's what she wanted to wear. And she's, she's not concerned whether you are like... Wow, I can't believe that child's wearing that. She has the, the, the mindset of a child. It's, this is what I was going to wear because this, this is where I'm going. It doesn't matter to her. And that's where this verse is so important in regard to this. Because if you came in here today in a suit and a dress and you're looking good and you're smelling good and you're feeling good, then, I, then rock it. Keep on rocking it. 
If you came in here today in a pair of jeans and, and flip-flops and a t-shirt or shorts and you feel good about that, keep on rocking it. It doesn't matter. Listen, the last, last, last thing, I feel very passionate about this. The last thing that should ever be on our minds on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, I will repeat, the last thing should be, oh, what am I going to wear? What am I going to wear to church? That should be the last thing we ever think about. I mean, wear something, please. But other than that, it should be the last thing we ever think about. Because God doesn't care. He just wants us to be here with a heart of people that want to worship him. So wear what you wear and worship God. Okay? Is that good? That's a core belief. We still believe it. We'll keep on believing it. Here's another one. We believe that God wants to touch people right where they are, not where we think they need to be. That's important. And you know, that's a challenge for me. It's probably a challenge for you if you're a follower of Christ because we know people. We know people right now who are not living for God. Um, they're making choices that are just, you're, you're scratching your head like, how, why are they doing this? How? And, um, and you're just thinking to yourself, man, if they would just get their act together. You know, we need to be reminded again today, and, and this was important to us back in 2002. It still is today. That we need to recognize that God wants to reach people right where they are in the middle of their mess. In the middle of the mess. And that we don't need to expect them to clean their act up before we can, we can be a, a, a light in their life. Before we can invite them to come to church. Before we can do those things. We believe that, that God wants to touch people right where they are. Not where we think they need to be. You know there was a passage in John chapter 8 where um, some guys, some really super like hyper religious guys but didn't have a whole lot of grace and everything but they were hiding out and they caught a man and a woman in 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 a in a situation we'll do that i see little eyes and ears in a situation now if you know your bible you know what happened these guys they they took the woman and they brought her to jesus they were trying to stump jesus really is what they were doing they're trying to catch him in some sort of some sort of loophole and see how he was going to handle this because obviously they were in sin now, what bugs me, and it'll be one of those things I'll ask God one day if it's still on my mind, is um, where was the dude? Why didn't he get brought before anybody? But anyway, we'd, that's not written anywhere, so we'll just focus on what was in Scripture. So they bring the lady, and they're like, look, we caught her. What you going to do? And um, Jesus, he, he thinks for a little bit, and then he says pretty well-known words. He, he looks up to these uber-religious people, and they go, whichever one of you hasn't sinned, you have the least amount of sin in your life, then you go right ahead and you pick up the rocks at your feet and you start throwing them at this lady. Because that was the deal. If you got caught in that kind of sin, the rules, the law said you could throw rocks at someone until they died. And so Jesus was like, whichever one of you people don't have any sin, you go ahead and pick up a rock and you can start throwing them and chucking them at this lady. Well, what happened was... Is they all started to leave, like one by one. They were like, ooh, I, that's not me. I, I do have some, I have sinned. I have done this. And so then we find this in, in John eight ten. after everyone had kind of slunk away like, you know, cockroaches when you turn the light on. Jesus says, woman, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
Go now and leave your life of sin. What Jesus said to that woman in that moment was, you know what, I don't, I don't condemn you either. I'm not going to pick up rocks and throw them at you either. Your life's not over today. You don't have, this doesn't have to be the end of your life today. I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying your life is over. He says, but go and leave this life of sin. Don't stay in it. That's very important to note. It's very important for us to see that because a lot of times we can, we might, we might know people that are in such, you know, dark situations and they need our help. And we just want to be so kind and loving to them that we're afraid to speak the truth. Well, Jesus spoke the truth to this woman. And he said, I don't condemn you either. I'm not telling you your life is over. But I am telling you to leave your life of sin. And I think that's important for us to note that, that God wants to reach people where they are. But he also loves them so much that he doesn't want them to stay in that place. And our role as followers of Jesus is to, go, to recognize God doesn't want people to stay in the deep, dark, miry pit of clay. He doesn't want us to stay in that, that place. He doesn't want anyone to be there. And our job, our role, is to go to those people and meet them in those places and help them out of it. And help them out of it and say, you know what? You don't have to live this life anymore. And that is what we believe. That is one of our core beliefs that, that we are Christ's representative in the world. Um... You know, just let Jesus be the one to clean up the mess. You know, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to let Jesus do that work. So, so these are some of the things we, we believed 14 years ago, and we still believe today. Here are a few more. I mentioned this briefly a moment ago. We believe that relevant teaching is critically important. I think that's kind of a given. You would assume that. But, but what we felt like um, was that We really need to focus on this, that to, to ignore the culture of the day, to speak of things that the hearing audience didn't quite understand, to, to think about things in that way would just have been silly. You know, Jesus, he didn't stand around with a bunch of fishermen and talk about the Torah. He didn't stand around with a bunch of farmers and do that. When he was before the religious elite, he quoted the Torah. He quoted the law. Jesus knew his audience and he spoke to them in a relevant way where they got it. They understood it. He didn't try and mix those up. So why would we want to follow any other example than that? So why would we want to, you know, stand up here and use that Christianese and use insider language and use five syllable words to talk about this? Because, you know, we just want to talk in a language that we know and that we understand and we can impart those truths about who God is, who Christ is, who he wants to be in our life. You know, we didn't have a core verse for this, a main verse for this core belief because, there were too many, and we decided that this is pretty much just if you were open up your Bible and you look at the red words that Jesus spoke in the New Testament, these were the verses that go with this core belief, because the parables of Jesus just show over and over again how he was, how he was intentionally relevant to the people he spoke to. He knew who he was speaking to, and he spoke to them in a way that they got it. So we don't want to do anything any differently than that. Um, here's another core belief. We believe that excellence honors God and inspires people. We believe this. Um, Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is just mediocre and says that maybe just try your best at your faith. That's not the passage. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And this is what he calls us into. We should always be moving on towards perfection. That should be something that if you're a follower of Christ, you're saying, I don't want to be the same as I was the day before. I want to be moving closer to him. 
Jesus brings about perfection. And doing our best always honors God. Always. And so we are always going to be striving to do that. And so from, from, the, from your bulletin and the information you get in there to, to uh, the, you know, the cleanliness of the bathrooms and, and everything in between, we, excellence honors God and it, and it inspires people. And we believe that very much so. Um, you know, one of the things I, I did after the service, and, and I do often, uh, right after the 930 service, I pulled a couple of people aside and I said, tell me, what do I need to do differently? Because I, we, we always want to be doing better. If, if we didn't do something well, we, we want to know about it so we can fix it and make it better. Uh, we'll do that in staff meeting on Monday. We'll do that. These are things we want to do, and it's important. And sometimes it doesn't feel that great. But um, excellence honors God and inspires people, and we always want to move that way. Uh, here's another core belief. This one is, is um, it was probably the, the catalyst for why we started the conversation of having a new worship, worship experience. The, the whole reason we even started the conversation, and it's this. We believe that the young adult audience is vitally, vitally important to the kingdom, and we will no longer neglect to meet them in the context of the culture that they live in. In 2002, this is what 2 Peter 3.9 says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to be left out, not wanting anyone to be forgotten, but everyone to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And back in 2002, when, uh, before I went before the leadership, we had like a pre-thing, and, and they had me, I had to do a lot of research, I was doing census stuff, I was talking to churches in, all over the nation and in our region, and I had to do a lot of homework before I went before our leadership in the spring of 2002. And one of the things that was so obvious and where this whole conversation came up was that, and a lot of churches do this, they were like, they gave a lot of attention and focus and, and funding and everything to our, the kids, you know, like vacation Bible school and Sunday school and all that stuff, which is very important. I mean, totally important. And then, um, you know, you might have a youth ministry in there. You might have a singles ministry where people want to, you know, meet up and partner up and hopefully find someone instead of at the club. And then, and, but there wasn't a lot of focus there. And then, like, the rest was on adult stuff. And so, like, the messages and, and the worship services were kind of geared to the people, you know, 40 and up, you know, 30 and up. And then you had your little kids. And in the middle was just kind of this thing, and it was kind of just this loosey-goosey thing. And you found this in church after church after church after church. And so we were like, you know what? Um, we just want, we, we want to make sure that we're not forgetting people. You know, the gospel of Jesus is not just for, for you know, people in their 50s or, or, or you know, little five-year-olds. You know, we, we, I was 32 years old when we started the service. Our worship leader was, he was, he was very, he was 20. He was really old, uh, 20 years old. And, um, and so we were starting this thing and we're like, what do we do? And I'll tell you what we heard from a lot of people in our own church, that youth service or that college service. Cause we started having tons of college students coming to our worship service. Cause remember, no one was doing anything like this in, in Valdosta, nobody, um, and so I'd have people come up to me and go, you know, I'd really like to come to the worship service, but I think I'm too old. And I'd be like, we don't check IDs. Come on in. I'm actually older than you are. You just don't know it. You know, and, and, and so when we, so even though we're not age exclusive, not one bit, not at all, 
But we decided early on that we were going to take into consideration the young adult audience. That we were going to take into consideration the, the, way they, the, the way they took in information, the way that they uh, 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 engaged other people. Uh, all those things were very important to us. And so we never say, oh, you have to be this age range to be here in worship. But we, sure, we're, we decided we were going to make sure that these people were important to us. And so, you know, I think one of the most healthy uh, signs of a church is when you have multiple generations worshiping together. And not only that, and it's not like just one person is tolerating what the other person wants to do, but you have multiple generations worshiping together and they're all like leaning in going, oh, I got that. I just understood that. Wow, that video really touched me. Wow. I mentioned this earlier. Last week, um, Kelly was up here preaching and he was talking about letting it go. Right, students? You remember that from our D-Now message? So he's, he's gearing that message to our student ministry. But how many of us heard that last week and we were like, oh yeah, I need to do that. I sure do. And the best part of that was, is back on the back row, there was like an 18, 20 month little girl. And she's back there going, let it go. (laughs) She got it. I don't know if she really got it, but I mean, she was able to repeat it. I mean, she heard it and she could repeat it. You know, and I just think that's a beautiful sign. So this is a healthy church, and we want to continue that way. And so we want to make sure we don't leave anybody out in, our, in the way we move forward. Here's another. This is the final core belief I want to share with you. I know today's a little bit different. It's not you know, like the one message, the one point. But I wanted to share these with you because I think they're, they're important to be reminded of, of, of who we were and who we are and um, who we, who we, how we still want to be moving forward. Um, and we're so thankful that we get to be part of a church that, you know, 14 years ago said, some, port, some leadership said, you know what, this is different. This isn't the way, this isn't, this is new. And, and I don't know, but they said, go for it. And I'm so thankful that we're a part of a church that did that. that we're a part of a church that still does that. Here's the final core belief. Again, there's only one way to our Father, but there's many ways to share Him. That's, the, that's it. And here's like the response to that. We believe that lost people matter to God and therefore matter to us. Lost people matter to God. I mean, that's, that's why Jesus came, right? I mean, He came to seek and save the lost. I mean, this is what He came to do. He, in Matthew 18, 11, we read that, that the Son of Man came to save what was lost and so we believe that those genuine love, uh, genuine love and, and acceptance results in relationships that lead to these soul transformations in people's lives. That lost people matter. And you know, for far too many churches and far too many Christians, and I have been guilty of this too, but far too many spend an insane amount of of attention and focus and energy and money on, on, on preferences of the people who are already found. It's far too much. You know, I'm trying to remember that one passage uh, where, where Jesus talked a lot about the color of the carpet in the worship space and how important that was to the kingdom of God. And I just haven't been able to find it. It's, I keep looking. I just haven't found it. But man, well, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. I'm thankful we don't. Thank you, Lord. You know, that, that all-time, my all-time favorite Bible verse that I have cross-stitched, you know, hanging, hanging over our bed. Blessed are those who never change out of a fear for no longer being comfortable. You know, one of my favorite Bible verses. It's not in the Bible. 
far too many churches and far too many Christians are more concerned about the found than they are the lost. And oh, we don't need to be like that. We don't need to be like that. Our, our focus should be on those who haven't yet accepted Christ. You know some people right now, and here's two ways you could think about them. You know some people right now that, who do not know Jesus. You know it. And you can think of them in two ways. You could think of them as lost and always going to be lost, or they haven't been found yet. And, and my hope is, is that we'll start to think of those people as those who just haven't been found yet. And maybe, just maybe, God put us in their life so that they can find him. God put us in their path so that maybe they will come to know him. You know, if you look at what Jesus came to do, I mean, he said, I came to do, I'm about my father's business. Well, how did he do that? How was he about his father's business? There's two things, primary things that Jesus did. He, he told people that he was the Messiah. He was the way. He was the one that was going to connect us to God. There was no longer going to be a gap between us and God. That was the one thing he did. And the other thing he did, spend his time doing, was talking to his disciples, talking to his followers and saying, and this is how I want you to tell people that I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that came to bridge the gap. I'm the one to make a way between man and God. He talked about it and then he trained them in how to do it. That's what he did. That was the business he was about. This is what Jesus was doing. And so as you hear me say, if you pay attention at all, you hear me say this just about each and every week. I ask this kind of a question. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, or I tag it on in a statement, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then, and I'll say it again today, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then what should be paramount to you, and I charge this to you, I, I charge it to myself, is that we would say, if it, that we live out our life in such a way, in such a way, we praise God in such a way, we raise our kids in such a way, we study and, and, and play our sports in such a way, that we parent, that we are in, with our spouse, that in our singleness, that everything that we do, that how we work, how we, everything that we do in such a way that people are amazed and they want to know about this God that's so important to you. And they want to know where are you going to learn? Where are you going to study? Where are you going to help other people? I want to be there with you. I want to be on this journey with you. What small group are you going to? Can I go to it? What, what, group, what Bible study are you in where you're learning about that? Can I come to that? What Sunday school class are you in where you're, you're talking about all this before you even get to go to the worship service? Where does that? Can I be a part of that? This is how we should be living this out, these core beliefs. Because we believe that lost people matter to God and therefore ought to matter to us. It's really important for us to notice that, that, that people didn't run to Peter and John because um, they had the best um, environment or, or the best lights or the best sound. No, they ran to Peter and John because Peter and John had life. That's what they had to offer was life. And that's found in Jesus Christ. So these were our core beliefs. This is why we started this particular worship experience in our larger church. And next week I'm going to talk with you about, about what we believe as a United Methodist Church. You know, a lot of us, we come from different backgrounds. I, I grew up Catholic and then I was Baptist for a while. And then I was non-denom, which is like its own denom anyway, you know. And then I ended up, God brought me here. 
You know, so a lot of us come from different backgrounds. So next year we're going to talk about what we believe is a United Methodist Church and uh, how we live that out on a day-to-day basis. So I hope, I know today was a little bit different, but I hope that you were inspired. I hope you heard something that you're like, hey, yeah, this is, this is good. I, this, this applies. I can, I can apply this to, to right now to my work. I can apply this to my family. I can apply this today because these are the things we believe about God and we want to live them out on a day-to-day basis. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you, um, you stirred something up in one guy's mind about 15 years ago. And he came to talk to me and I told him he was crazy. And then a few months later, after you wouldn't let me let go of, of that conversation, I started to believe too that you wanted to do something different and new in this church, in this community. Lord, we thank you for the people that you've brought along the way, the people that have been leaders, that have been volunteers, that have been supporters. We thank you for the countless, countless, count. Thanks for listening to the Solomon's Porch Podcast. We hope you heard some good practical news in this episode that you can apply to your life. If you'd like, we'd love for you to review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. You can also support our ministry by going to theporchvaldosta.com slash give. Until next time, stay classy, listening friends. Thank you.